I imagine that some of you know what the oatmeal is. Not oatmeal, but the oatmeal. It's a web-based comic that manages to be both snarky and silly and fun and sweet and insightful. And this is one of my favorites of theirs is a series, which kind of describes me. I used to suffer from FOMO. And you know what that is. Fear of missing out. Little character sitting there and they're not very happy. Thinking that everyone around them, hashtag blessed, hashtag holla, hashtag jello shots, is experiencing their life with so much fun. And then they get out there and they find out O-B-I-W-T-G-T-F-H, out, but I want to go the F home. They're partying just a little too hard. And so, this little character becomes a firm believer in Jomo, the joy of missing out. This book is amazing. It's called A Game of Pork Hobbit Space Thrones. How could that not be amazing? So FOMO is something that I have wrestled with a lot of my life, a fear that life is somewhere else and I'm missing it. I've been able largely to let that go, but I still have it at times. This last year and a half or so, as I've been working on my Master of Social Work degree and I've had an internship and school and Wellsprings, that little bit of the FOMO has been rising up within me. And particularly with one thing, when I see other people on social media posting about it, about these characters. This is us. The multi-generational, not just multi-generational, but trans-generational story that hops backward and forward in time. There's a story at its center about this interracial family. I have only seen the first season of it. And so going into what I'm going to talk about today, if you want to approach me after the service and start talking about this is us, you must, you must not spoil it for me. (laughs) I don't want to hear anything about the second season. I don't want to hear anything about the current third season. And so I'm going to be totally out of sync with where you are if you are up to date with the show. I'm going to talk about the first season today. I'm going to talk about what is my second favorite scene in that first season, the most favorite is William and Randall and the ducks. Like, I might have a moment up here when I think about that. But this scene I love as well, too. One of the reasons I enjoy it so much is actually it involves a character who is very far from my favorite character on the show, Kevin. He's an actor who's been successful performing in television shows that are not all that great, and he knows it. And he also knows that he's kind of got through life pretty easy to this point. And he's actually, when we meet him early on, looking for a greater depth in his life. At this particular moment, what comes before this scene is that he has just totally flubbed, totally, completely whiffed on explaining this big question to his nieces, Tess and Annie. Perhaps the biggest question there is, death. What happens after we die? Which, if you know, when kids might ask that question of you, there's a lot of vulnerability in that question for them. That realization, oh my God, the people I love are going to die, and I am too. And Kevin completely strikes out. His nieces return to their room upset. 
And Kevin decides to give it another try. And he shares with them what you see in the middle of them in this scene, this painting. He says, whenever I get a new script and I don't quite understand it, I paint it. And he says, for me, this is not just about the play, a play with much more significant depth than anything Kevin has ever done in his acting career before. It's not just about the play. It's also, he said, about life and death. Some of the colors here are right at the center of the picture. Some are on the periphery. All are different colors. And all, when taken together, compose what it is to live. He says, this is us. Messy and beautiful. Everyone who's been alive and is not. Everyone who is alive right now and everyone who is not yet here. This is us. He's talking about what connects us in the midst of this life of ceaseless change. I love it because it's, in my own thought, his way of pointing to one of my favorite Unitarian Universalist teachings. It's from Ralph Waldo Emerson. He's one of the great teachers in our tradition. And about 150 years ago or so, a little bit more than that now, he read for the first time from his perspective the Vedic tradition in Hinduism. And his understanding of it was he called the oversoul. That you and me and us, we don't really have individual souls. We don't have a soul. Our lives experience soulfulness by participating in the whole. The each that is a part of all and the all that is a part of each. The oversoul that connects every single one of us. I've always loved that image and that teaching. That this is us. In the constancy of change in our lives. Remembering the connections that hold all of us. Change and connection are very much in my heart right now. And on my mind. In May, I've got a pretty big change coming up in my life. I will be graduating from the Master of Social Work program that I've been working on for about these last two and a half years. It's something that a number of you have asked me about. And at times, I've also gotten the sense that it's a little bit of subtext between us. <laughs> like it's kind of there on the tip of the tongue but you're not sure to ask about it. So I want to talk about that today. Because it will be a change in my life. And it will also change the role that I play here at Wellsprings. And I want to stay connected professionally here at Wellsprings. I want to talk about change and connection. Before I do please permit me to reflect back to you who you are to me at this season in the life of Wellsprings and at this season in the life of my ministry with you all here. I want to take you back to the last week of June of this past summer when my wife and I and my extended family were all in Ireland. And I got a message, I think, on 
June 29th from Reverend Lee that said, we're not going to be able to meet at the Montgomery School this week. Would you like to know why? And she shared with me why. And I was very clear that being an ocean away, 5,000 miles away, I was worried. I was concerned. Please hear me clearly. You all are not my children. Got that part? Obvious. And please hear me clearly about this. As the minister who started this whole thing, this place is very much my professional baby. And so, yeah, it was imperiled, this relationship with the only place that Wellsprings has ever known where it worshipped. And in that week when I was totally away, when this situation was at its most raw and uncertain and most real, I wasn't really part of the operational picture here. So what I witnessed, talking to the leaders of the congregation, just a very little bit, wasn't like I was having conference calls every day, that's not what happened, was trust. I witnessed vulnerability and honesty and the absence of something which is freaking out. It's like I say very often to people who are in early recovery that I'm working with, right now there really isn't any winning. (laughs) Right now there's just a lot of difficulty. But the best thing you can do is not lose anymore. And if you do that, you're actually winning. What I witnessed was your presence with each other. I didn't have to cut short my vacation from thousands of miles away. I didn't have to be here. I got back. I was engaged all summer as we worked our way through the process of what this dislocation meant for us. And it meant a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And eventually, as we worked towards getting back to being here at the school again. In the first week, this was not dependent upon me at all. There are other times in the history of Wellsprings in which I don't think we could have said that with confidence. It's not me dependent any longer. I'll take you back to a couple weeks ago. When Josie, who is our worship leader today, was preaching, as our worship leaders do once in each new message series. And as Josie shared her story of recovery and the different seasons of recovery and getting stuck at times and learning how to get unstuck with a sense of vulnerability and presence and honesty, I thought this is us. Because the truth is, I'm just pointing to Josie right now because this was just two weeks ago. But I could point at a whole handful of other experiences of people who've not just been able to be comfortable with uncertainty, but have been willing to make a home in her heart there so that they could grow and flourish in this life. I could point to so many other experiences of that kind of presence in who we are and who you are right now. It is so real in us. And it is beyond simply me. I took such comfort from these two experiences because I had two commitments since I was the minister who started Wellsprings. I wanted to create a congregation that would not be dependent upon the person who started it all. And even more, I wanted to create a kind of culture 
in which spirituality was most profoundly about how we showed up with each other. Real and raw and authentic and willing to trust and willing to connect. That is a healing presence. And this, I believe, is us. So as I look back on this summer, I feel a sense of completeness. That what I set out to do here in the beginning, I've helped to bring into being. There have been, in the last few years, some very intentional shifts in which I have not wanted to abdicate power and just release it thoughtlessly, but to truly possess less of it here and to share power more. I have very intentionally stepped back, always holding the hope, and at times very much the plan, that would be an opportunity for others to step up as well. And this is what I have witnessed. So there is another change up on the horizon. For those of you around maybe three and a half years ago, 2015, you know that I came before the congregation and I asked for a change that from 2005 to 2015, really into 2016, I was the CEO and lead minister of this congregation. And at that time, let me tell you, folks, I actually don't uh, apologize for asking for what I needed, but I do apologize for how I expressed it. I was stressed and distressed and distressed. This congregation had grown beyond my capacity to act in a way as CEO that I believed this growing community needed. And so we took time and we did that year well, 2015, 2016, and we transitioned intentionally and it led us to our co-ministry. It gave me the opportunity to go back to school I've got a very simple definition of redemption. It has nothing at all to do with an otherworldly experience, although I'm not foreclosing myself to that opportunity, nor any of us. Redemption for me is simply being in a similar circumstance to where we have been in the past in our lives, and this time doing it differently, better, more wholeheartedly which is why I'm bringing this news to you now in October, before I am on sabbatical in the spring and before anything might change at the end of this congregational year, which isn't, doesn't end until June. Since last spring, I have been engaged with our board, with your board of trustees, around this question. What can my gifts still mean to Wellsprings? What do they mean? I could see this change on the horizon, and this time I wanted to be intentional, not stressed out. Next summer, or late next spring, at some point, my primary professional life will change. I see myself heading towards being a therapist, some form of clinical social work. And I want to stay a part of the professional staff here. What that means is that professionally, less of my professional life will be here. And I don't know yet exactly what that means because that is not my decision to make on my own. For the member of the boards of trustees, Josie, Chris, Sharon, Ted and Kathleen, I think, would you, would you stand?
many of you know these folks already, although there are some folks here who don't know who the people are on our board. Look around. See these faces? They are here to talk with you. If you have questions, thank you. Reach out to them. We've been talking for the last four to six months, myself and this glorious group of leaders, about how we can continue to grow together. I have been honest with them. I have really wrestled with this, and I will tell you truthfully, this is not a wound, and it's not a scar either. You're told to not preach from our wounds or from our scars. But it's still something I wrestle with. I have known too many communities in which the founders of those communities, especially when they were the professional founders, held on for far too long and overstayed their welcome. I don't believe this is what I am doing. It certainly is not what I want to do. But if you have concerns about that, if you have concerns or reflections or feelings, please come and talk to me. Talk to me directly. I'm available. I am accessible. Let's talk. One of the things I've gotten most out of my work in clinical social work to this point is that if you scratch the surface of almost every mental health disorder, you will find what clinically is called an adjustment disorder. Life changes. Happy things, family transitions, sad things, deaths, losses. Adjustment disorder is just the clinical name for the deepest spiritual reality there is. Life is impermanent. This is what this whole message series is about, working with the inevitability of change in our lives. What I believe spiritual community is about, especially because we get to share these lives in time with each other through many different seasons of our lives, is that we are offered the invitation with each other to live gracefully into change. Last week, Reverend Lee shared an image, which I'm not going to share with you right now, but it had two little figures on it, with one figure saying to the other, you've changed, and the other responding, I've, I hope so. <laughs> Coming up on 13 years here, I hope I have changed. The truth is I know I have changed. At the end of last year in a class that I had, which was a fairly deeply bonded class, it was the practice class. It's the class where we were at our most raw and real with each other, reflecting, trying to make sense and digest of our experiences in the field, which very often blew our hair back. And we were in the last class of the year talking about what did this mean for each other? Because we really grew to trust each other. And I was the oldest person in that class by about 22 years, by my best estimation. <laughs> and what I said is that I've come to an awareness that one of the reasons I have sought out so many leadership roles in my life is that fundamentally I have experienced myself as a very lonely person, even when I was around other people. And the truth is, that's not true anymore for me. I don't experience myself as lonely as I used to. 
I'm working off the legacy of what Ryan Adams, the singer, said when he said he was born with an abundance of inherited sadness, which is a really poetic way to say I was born into a family in which depression runs in our genetic lineage in our culture. There is now more in my life want to and less have to. Less guilt, less obligation, less shame, less sense that I am not measuring up to what I should be, whatever the hell that is. Here's the thing, when I am grounded into this reality of more want to and less have to, I am of so much greater benefit to other people because I am thinking of myself so much less. I feel so much more a part of and less apart from. And in part, I have this congregation to thank for that. I think what happens when all of us can experience this deeper truth of the oversoul, of the connection between us, that nothing can break even through the midst of our changes. But what happens when we can grow and emerge together in our lives and time? There's a writer named Omid Safi, who some of you might know. He writes for On Being. He's a Muslim teacher, lives in North Carolina. And he was writing not too long ago about a Muslim teacher from the 13th century named Sa'adi, who was a poet. And he's got a collection, a text called The Rose Garden. And because he is a poet, in the story I'm about to tell you in this teaching, the poet is talking to a lump of clay. <laughs> who is not inanimate, but they have a dialogue together. And the thing that Sa'adi notices is that this lump of clay smells amazing. And he asks, are you musk? Are you amber? Your scent is intoxicating. The clay answers back. I am just a piece of humble clay. But for a day or two, I have kept the fellowship of roses. It's their companionship that has had an impact on me. Otherwise, I am just ordinary clay. I've kept the fellowship of roses. It's their companionship that has had an impact on me. Omid Safi takes this to be an invitation to recognize on a deep, intentional way all the ways in which his relationships, the communities of which he has a part, are leaving an impression on him. He says those communities that allow him and those relationships to manifest, to bring forward those divine qualities of his own life and also those communities and those relationships of which he is equally mindful that also bring out his inner jerk. This is the impact that relationships have in our lives. The impact of our communities on our hearts. Omid Safi concludes, I am just a bit of clay, cosmic dust. And I want to keep the company of roses, those beautiful human beings who bring out good and beautiful qualities in me and with the grace of God, I can bring out in them. It is a sense of community that is a commitment to making goodness and beauty become real. Some years ago at around the turning of the year, the beginning of the year, which is not really January 1st, but I think in many ways September 1st. 
did a message in which I talked about and encouraged all of us, very much myself included, to remember that even if we think our lives are pottery, at base we are clay. Because the truth is clay is always able to move and grow even when it breaks. It's fluid. It's moldable. It gives impressions. It leaves impressions. It is not final or fixed. It trusts what is emerging now. I think back then we even gave out little things of Play-Doh, some of which from time to time you still tell me that you put on your office uh, desks or right next to a computer, all the places where maybe you might kind of stiffen up and forget that at base we are all clay and flexible. This is the gift of spiritual community that we can remind ourselves over and over again that our greatest hurts and also our greatest healing, they happen in relationship. And in these lives we lead in time together, What we need more than anything else is witnesses so that we can grow. And so to come full circle. I don't live with a lot of FOMO anymore here. But at least in relationship with Wellsprings, I also don't have JOMO, the joy of missing out. What I have right now simply is the intention to be a part, a part of In a very deep and real way, I don't believe I have to be here anymore. I want to be here. I think this became very, very clear to me as I was undergoing my discernment in these last 15 months here at Wellsprings when we have buried more members of this congregation than at any other time. And a couple of those deaths were truly tragic and awful and out of season. And I looked at how we cared for each other. And I thought, this is us. I want to stay apart, just apart, just a piece of clay of what is here. The faces that change and come and go and the essentials that don't, the first breaths that some of us, the littlest ones, will take and the final breaths that some of us will take and say goodbye to each other because we are in community. I want to be a witness and a participant in the whole circle of life, of growing and living and dying and loving and trusting so that we can continue to be the kind of spiritual community we have been until now. This is us. I want to continue to be a part of it of what is emerging now and here and in time to come. Amen. May you live in blessed blessing, my friends. I'm all out of words. Would you pray with me? So many names for this reality. The all that is in each and the each that is in all. Simply today, may we allow this truth to saturate our lives. To remember that none of us is ever a fixed and final form. May this truth liberate us, especially in times of change. Liberate us to love with greater compassion and ease and open-heartedness. 
and remember that we are all a part of this one great flow and immensity that most profoundly has the name of love. Amen.